All right, church, this morning we will be in Psalm 119. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 32. So ever since I was a kid, there was some, there's something that I haven't been really good at, and that is reading. So it's not that I like, can't read and understand the words on the page. It's that I'm like really slow at it. And I have trouble like locking in. Like I'll find sometimes that I've read like five pages or so with no idea what they have said. So I'm like, how did they get in the forest? And so then I'm like going back and having to reread all of these pages. Is it just me? Is tell me somebody else is like me. Great, there's 14 of you. Well, I feel y'all. And because of this, because these have been my struggles, it's, it's led me to look at books like, like the Harry Potter books or like Lord of the Rings, books that my friends would be like, these are wonderful. And they'd tell me about them. And I'm like, those do sound wonderful. And then I'd see the thing. I'm like, for you, they're wonderful for you. And thanks be to God that they made movies so I can enjoy them too. But like, I've struggled, I've just struggled to read them. And so I'll look at the size of the books, but like, that's a task too daunting for me. And you know, I, I hate to admit it, but that's actually been my attitude historically with Psalm 119. Like, whenever it came up in my Bible reading plan, I was always good. I would read it, right? But I, I didn't always enter into it with much joy, unfortunately. And it's been really good for me over these past few weeks. As we've been trekking through Psalm 119, I've seen like how flawed my thinking has been because this has been a psalm that um, it's been life-giving to me. It's rich and Man, it's given me much hope. I hope that you have experienced the same thing over the last few weeks. And my prayer is that by God's grace, that will be true even this morning. So this morning, we are going to look at verses 25 to 32. And we'll look at it in these two categories. Our problem and God's solution. So let's go ahead and turn to our text and read it now. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me as we read God's word? It says there, beginning in verse 25, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it will stand forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we ask now that you would open our minds and soften our hearts. Pray that your word would have the effect that you desire for it to have. And I pray that your words would flow through me um, and that indeed people wouldn't hear me, but that they would hear the truth of your word coming through. Pray that you would do these things for our good, but more importantly, for your glory. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If I were to go around this room this morning and ask every one of you, tell me about a problem that you currently have or a problem that you've recently had. All of you, regardless of your age or stage in life, like you'd be able, you'd be able to tell me one. 
For the younger ones among us, it might be that they are struggling in school. It's like, you know, that long division crushing me, right? Or maybe the problem is that their parents won't listen to them and buy the good cookies. It's always this oatmeal junk that mom and dad like. No shame if you're an oatmeal fan, by the way. Or maybe it's that they've had a fight with their friends and like things just haven't been the same since. Maybe for those of y'all that are a little bit older, maybe your struggles are that like you're at odds with your parents. Maybe you're having relationship issues of some kind. Maybe you didn't get the score that you need to get into the college you want and you're left like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Maybe the problem is there's somebody that you like and you're like, I have no idea how to go and talk to them. For many of us in this room, though, our problems are likely a little bit different. Our problems might be related to things like our marriage or our parenting or our work or our finances, our friends, maybe our lack of friends or our homes or our health or, or who knows, an innumerable amount of things could be on our list, right? Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, if you asked me for one problem, my biggest problem would be figuring out what problem tops the list of my problems. Maybe that's you. As we open this section of Psalm 119, it seems fair to say that the writer, too, has a problem, that he is facing some kind of trial. In verse 25, he says his soul clings to the dust. In verse 28, he says his soul melts. Now, these aren't, these aren't phrases that most of us would use to describe ourselves on an average Tuesday. Whenever looking, whenever trying to find the words to express how the psalm writer might feel, John Calvin says this, the writer had no more hope of life than if he had been shut up in the tomb. I'm not going to lie, whenever I first read that, I'm like, I know you're smart and all, but that seems a bit strong. It's like, maybe I should go back. Maybe I should go back and read. Is it, is it really that dire of a state? And I think that it is. Because look in verse, well, look in verse 25. What are the things that weighs down the psalmist? It's thoughts of death and despair. In verse 27, it's his inability to understand. In verse 28, it's sorrow and weakness. 29, it's the presence of falsehood. And we might read these things like, what has led, what has led this person to feel this way? What is happening? And in truth, we don't know. We don't know who wrote it, so we don't know what is happening in their life at this time. But even though we don't know what exactly, what experiences led the writer to feel this way, what we do know is what it's like to experience those feelings. Because we've all experienced them to some degree. I mean, you know what it's like to despair, don't you? Don't you know what it's like to feel a loss of hope? Maybe it's not about all of life, but... I mean, haven't you been in situations where you thought all hope was gone? Or like the writer, haven't you had times where you don't understand? Not just failing to understand things like how electricity works or how exactly people make money off crypto. Still don't get that. But like, haven't you struggled to understand like, why do all of my relationships, whether romantic or friendships or whatever they might be, why do all my friendships seem to fail? Why does God feel distant from me? Why do I struggle with the same sin year after year? Why do I struggle to pray or even want to pray or to be in God's word? 
We know what it's like to not understand. We know what sorrow and weakness are like too, don't we? We've all had sorrows in varying degrees. We've felt that pain and loss that comes. We know what it's like to be disappointed. Or what about weakness? Have you ever felt weak? Maybe the weakness that you're experiencing is like, maybe you're, your body is failing you in a way that it never has. Maybe you're coming face to face with your own mortality and it's like, ooh, this is, this is a new season for me. Or maybe the weakness that you experience is weakness of the mind or the spirit or the will. Or what about the presence of falsehood? Y'all, how often do we experience falsehood in our lives? How often... How often in an average day do falsehoods come out in the words that we say or the thoughts that run through our minds or the actions that we do? How many times a day do we let the world speak to us what is false? How many times a day do we speak to ourselves things that are false? And y'all, how many times a day do we believe those things that others or even ourselves speak? All of these things are things that the psalmist is dealing with. And all of these things that he identifies as the problems, they're things that we all face. And if we think that there's any of these that we don't deal with, y'all, that's our pride blinding us. It's blinding us to what is true. We, along with the writer, we deal with all of these things because we, like him, we're all, we're all broken with our sin and we live in a world that is broken by sin. You know, I think that should actually be a comfort to us. I think it should be a comfort to us to know that God would see fit to use someone like the writer of this psalm, someone who feels and struggles in the same ways that we do. Because if God could and did see fit to use someone who struggles like we do, then God can use us. And it's not just that God can use us, y'all. It's that God does use us. And it's not that he does use us. He's pleased to do so. Christian, God is pleased to use you. And he's not just settling. It's like, well, they're kind of the best I got for now. No, man, God is pleased to use you. And not just to use you, but to guide you and to teach you and to strengthen you and to give you hope. You know, as we think about this sorrow, the sorrow of the soul, it should be encouraging to know that we're not the only ones who struggle with it. The New Testament tells us that Jesus struggled with that as well, or Jesus dealt with that as well. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus says this, says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. But you know what the difference is? in the sorrow of soul that Jesus suffered and struggled with and the sorrow of soul that we deal with? It's this. The sorrow we face is because of our sin. And the sorrow of soul that Jesus faced, it wasn't because of His sin, y'all. It was because of ours. And yet, the Bible tells us, for the joy set before Him, that joy being His people, that joy being you, Christian, for the joy set before him, he leaned in. He endured that suffering. The suffering that was not just physical, but emotional and spiritual and mental. 
And he did it so that he could pay for that sin that causes our suffering, so that he could sympathize with us, Hebrews 4 tells us, and so that he could begin the work of making all that is terrible become untrue. Christian, as you suffer, you can do so with great hope because we know what God has accomplished on our behalf. If you're here not a Christian, we're glad you're here. We hope that you keep coming. We hope that, we hope that um, as you hear the gospel proclaimed, there will be something that is beautiful to you. So if you're not a Christian, thanks for coming. Keep coming back. But I do have a question for you. If you're not a believer, man, what do you do with your sorrows? What do you look to as you try to endure them? What, what hope do you have? Is it simply that with time they won't hurt as bad? Is that your hope? Do you rely on yourself to fix whatever you identify as your problem, whether that's internal or external? And if you're not taking your sorrows to God, ultimately what you're saying is that you're big enough and smart enough and strong enough to handle them. Because even if we ask for the help of others, like we're still deciding who those others will be. Who is it that's wise enough to help me? Who is it that has the word that I need? Who is it that is strong enough to shoulder my burden? It's you that's deciding. But Christians, we have to be careful because... Y'all, this is us too. Because even though we have a God who invites us, who tells us, man, bring me your burdens and your sorrows and lay them at my feet, our tendency is so often to not look upward, but to look inward. Our sin of self-reliance is always close at hand. It's our default so often. Like, yeah, 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 I know I could do that, but I think I got this one. So friends, as we suffer and face problems caused by sins of ourselves or the sins of others, let me encourage you to be at work training yourself. Be at work training yourself to always be turning to God. Don't turn in, turn up. Turn towards Him. Take that suffering to Him. Take those problems to Him. Take those doubts and worries and struggles to Him. And do so with great hope. Because, friend, if you trust in Jesus, that is what you have. You have a hope that the world can only imagine, a hope that the world can only long for. We have a hope that one day suffering will be no more, that we will get to live in a reality that's not just absent from suffering, but that is filled with joy. Joy unspeakable, as the hymn writer would say. But it's not here yet, is it? So though we do get to live with great hope, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do as we live a life where sin and suffering and sorrow are still very much a reality? Well, in the midst of his suffering, the psalmist continues, we see, to hold fast to what is true and to point us to the solution. Not only, and the solution is not just for him, y'all, it's for us as well. Have you, have you ever said anything that you meant as a joke and like maybe it's funny in the moment, but as soon as someone else says it, you're like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's real bad. I'm going to tell you a story that um, 
It doesn't paint me in the best light, but it's kind of funny. So uh, I went to work for a company a few years ago, and like whenever you start for this company, the first one of the first things they do is you send they send you to this workshop, and the idea of this workshop is that you learn to work with other people to find resolution to your conflict. So we go to this workshop, they break us up into small groups, and they give us this hypothetical problem. And I was real invested to the point where I have no idea what it was at this point, but I do remember my answer. So my small, small group leader asked, like, okay, here's the problem. What does everyone think we should do? And we'll dialogue around it. So it comes to me, and I get to put my two cents in. I was like, I'm going to take the edge off and be funny. Mm. And so I say, jokingly, Please remember this was a joke. But I say jokingly, like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'd probably just kill them. I'm like, and in the moment, in the moment, it was a little funny. People chuckled, right? And we kind of moved on, and I participated like a grown-up should, and I gave real answers. So we finish the thing. We go back into the large group, and then, like, the workshop leader begins to go around and say, like, oh, what was your problem, and what, what were the resolutions that your group came up with? And my small group leader decided it would be a great idea to share all of the proposed solutions. Oh, yeah, including mine. And as soon as she said that, like, I was mortified in the moment and a little piece of happy Jake died inside. Right? Like, imagine being in my shoes. And, yeah, again, I know it's terrible. Here's the problem. The solution that I offered, I guess it's technically a solution, but it wasn't a good one, right? Like the solution that I offered only would prove to cause more problems. And even though my example here is a bit extreme, I, I, use, it to, I use it to make a point. We so often, we so often face conflict and struggles and problems in life and instead of looking to God's word to, to glean wisdom, instead of letting the scriptures shape and form the lens through which we see all of life and think about all of life, instead we lean into our own understanding. It's like, oh, I think this would be the best solution for this problem. Y'all, how often do you let the lens that you have crafted for yourself be the one through which you interpret the world, the one through which you try to solve problems, instead of following the example that the psalmist gives here. You know, the writer here, his desire is like ours. He asks God, he says, God, give me life. And he wants, like us, not just physical life, but fullness of life. Man, don't you, isn't that what you want? That's what the writer is asking for. God, give me fullness of life. But that actually begins with our spiritual state. To have fullness of life, one must seek the fullness of spiritual life. And this is what the writer says in verse 25. Give me life according to your word. And y'all, notice not just what the writer says, but notice how he says it. Look at the end of verses 25, 26, 28, 29, 31, and 32. Look at how all of them end. They all end with this exclamation point, right? And the reason is this, because the writer is making a petition, a request, an urgent, heartfelt request. He is asking God, give me life, fullness of life, spiritual life. But notice how he asked God to do it. 
Do it through the means which you have already provided to me. God, do this through your word. Give me life according to your word, the psalmist says. Teach me your statutes and laws. Make me understand your precepts. Set your rules before me. He's asking God to do, you know, he's actually asking God to do what Chris asked God to do on behalf of us every week. Every week after Chris reads, what does he say? He says, God, take your word and meet it with your spirit. And the writer here is asking God to meet his word with his spirit, to do so in his heart and mind, so that he might understand what God has instructed him to do, what God has instructed him to refrain from. He's asking God that he might reveal his will for his life and to put what is false far from him. Teach me your word. Let me understand the teaching and keep me from deceitful ways. It's the desire of the writer. It should be our desire as well. It should be our desire because, man, God tells us this is what leads to the fullness of life that your soul is longing for. But you know, even if we get to experience this fullness to some degree, it doesn't mean, as we so often let ourselves think, it doesn't mean our life will be without trials or problems. I mean, like, obviously, the writer, this is what he is longing for, and yet his life, I mean, it still is marked with suffering. And even if we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus, the one who experienced the fullness of spiritual life to a degree that is incomprehensible to us. He still suffered anguish of the soul. But when he did, y'all, what did he do? We did what the psalmist is calling you and I to do here. In Matthew 4, as we see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, which is temptation that you and I, like, though we are tempted by the enemy, it's not to this degree. This is a degree that like, is incomprehensible to us. But when Jesus suffered that temptation, what's he do? He sustains himself by the word. He quotes Deuteronomy 8, which tells us that man actually lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself meditated on the wondrous works of God. He chose the way of faithfulness. He set the rules of the Father before him. He clung to his testimonies and he ran in the way of God's commands. Jesus went to the scriptures to find hope in the midst of trouble. Christian, do you do the same? Do you follow the example of our Lord? Do you follow the instruction of the psalm writer here? Are you seeking to find fullness of life by saturating your thoughts with God's Word? Are you seeking to learn and asking Him to teach you? Man, what, what does it mean to live by your rules? Are you seeking to run in the way of His commands? And are you meditating on God and His wondrous works? You know, that practice of meditating, I think that's one that a lot of us struggle with. I say us, because this is me too. I want you to think, when's the last time you meditated on something? Like, when was the last time that you slowed down and intentionally, not emptied your mind, but instead let your mind be full and concentrated on one thing? What was that thing? Was it a conversation that you had? You meditated on the words that were said? Was it sports? Like, you know, 
what something could have been done different. What was it? Was it something at your job? Was it maybe maybe memories from the past that are bring back sweet memories? Or maybe ones that are bitter? Was that meditation intentional? Or was it like how it is with me reading where you suddenly realize like, oh, that was happening, okay. When's the last time you meditated on a sermon that you heard? Man, when's the last time you meditated on a passage of God's word? There are things constantly clamoring for our time and our attention. And y'all know this. If you want, you can have someone constantly talking to you or at you. Our issue isn't a lack of content. Our issue is not even a lack of having access to good content. Our issue is that we fail to interact with it. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting in a seminar with a pastor named Richie Sessions, and like he was really driving this point home, so like this is fresh in my mind. He's like, y'all, you have on your bookshelves and loaded up in your podcast feed outstanding content that people historically, like, it would have been unfathomable to them. But he asked, like, what are you doing with it? Are you reading it or listening to it and moving on from it? Or are you making time when you hear a sermon to sit and let it marinate? Are you reading God's word and letting your mind be filled with that and considering, God, what are you, te- what are you trying to teach me here? He encouraged us, if you're going to make time to intentionally listen or read, intentionally make time to let it do the work that our God has intended for it to do. It's a good practice to meditate on the content of godly people. Y'all, how much more important is it to make time to meditate on the words that God himself has said? The Bibles that you hold in your hands, they are the words of God from the mouth of God that he has given to you because he loves you. Will you always enjoy meditation? Not if you're like me. But it is good for us. And I do find encouragement from Calvin's words here. He says this, in proportion to the spirit of knowledge given to us, our regard for the law of God And our delight in meditating on it ought to increase. Meaning this, as we spend time in the Word, as we become more familiar with what God's Word says, and as God increases our understanding and knowledge of it, our delight, our enjoyment in meditating on it should increase. And meditation in God's Word will have results and effects that are both short-term and long In the short term, as you begin to saturate your mind with God's Word, you'll actually notice, man, that comes through in the words that I say. I don't talk like that. That's God's Word. I don't pray like that. It's God's Word that's coming through. It will change the way that you think, the words that you say, even the actions you do. And over time, it will slowly be sanctifying you, remaking you more and more into the image of Jesus but it's slow. It's like a rock. It's like a rock with water constantly running over it. Just make no mistake, that water, it does change the rock. It softens it and changes its shape over time. My encouragement to you is let the water of God's word be running over you and reshaping you more and more into the image of Jesus.
God's solution to whatever we face is to run to His Word. As a quick encouragement to you, this doesn't mean, spending time in the Word, it doesn't mean that if you fail to make it through your Bible in a year that you have failed. Okay? Breathe out. It's okay. You know what it might mean for you? Taking a passage and camping out. Read it over and over. Know it inside and out. Pray through it. Meditate on it. Let God do the work in your life and in your heart that He intends for that passage to do. Pick a passage and let it do its work. God has spoken to us through His Word, friend. Man, are you listening to Him speak? So my pastor back home, uh, he played a big role in kind of helping me learn how to, how to craft and preach a sermon. So if you're like, should have practiced more, email him. All right? But one thing that he would often remind me is like, Jake, in a sermon, your duty as God's minister is to call the people to something. It can be calling them to action. It can be calling them to a belief. This morning, God, through his word and through me as his minister, his, he has indeed called you to something. The call, not only for you, but for me as well. The call for us is to take every burden and care and trouble and sorrow and problem to God and to cling to His Word as the psalmist does. The call is to let the Scriptures be at work in you. Make space to meditate on them. Immerse your mind in God's Word. But y'all, as you do these things, remember it's God who enlarges the heart as the psalmist reminds us here. It's Him who gives wisdom and understanding and hope. And y'all, let that be a comfort to you. It's not you who has to muster up these things like, oh, I don't feel hopeful, it must be my fault. It's not you who is having to like drum up this wisdom in yourself. Man, rest in the comfort that it is God who does these things. It's He who enlarges the heart. It's He who gives wisdom and understanding and allows you to run and walk in His commands. And that's sweet. The word is children. And these are the gifts that He gives us as a good father. I'll close with this. In the next to last verse of this section, the writer makes a plea to God. He says, God, let me not be put to shame. I want us to think about how we on this side of the cross might be able to pray in this way. Because the writer here is likely asking God, God, don't let me be put to shame for living in a godly manner. And it is right and good for us to pray in the same way. But could we not also pray like this? Jesus, thank you for enduring that shame that was rightly due to me. Thank you for enduring that sorrow of the soul, not for your sins, but for mine. Thank you for running in the way of the Father's commands in a way that I couldn't. And thank you for crediting your perfection to my account. How amazing is it, friends, that our Savior bore our shame so that we might be holy. In Psalm 19, David says that God's law and testimony and precepts and commands and rules, that they are sweeter than honey, and drippings from the honeycomb. Do you see the law of God as sweet like David did? Or like our Savior did? Part of the sanctification process is that God teaches us to love these things. He enlarges our hearts and enables us more and more to die to our sin and live unto righteousness. 
to run and walk in those commands. So as we look at Christ in the fullness of life that He has given us, let it inspire love for Him and love for His commands so that we might lead lives that are both good for us and glorifying to our Lord. Let's pray together. God, we do thank You for Your commands. We thank You that it is You who enlarges the heart. It is You who allows us and actually makes us more into the image of Your Son. Pray that You would give us that you would give us hearts that are not full of pride to the point where, where we won't take our burdens to You. God, let us see our need daily. Let us run to the cross and cast our burdens and cares and sorrows and troubles and problems on You, knowing that You have paid for them and that You care so deeply for us. Give us hearts that desire to know Your Word. Let us saturate our minds with them. Pray indeed that You would let Your Word have its intended effect on us and that You would do this for our good and Your glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.